Welcome to Broken Spines at the End of the World, the podcast where we talk about everything book-related. Today, we want to discuss some of our favorite quotes. Apparently, mine are very long and Sarah's are very short. So, I like so, things that are to the point. Yeah, I don't. I just wanted to go on and on and on. You just want to ramble. Yeah, that's <laughs> basically just who I am as a person too. <laughs> I also really like how your voice changes into podcast voice when you start doing the intro. <laughs> you like but manifest Ellen, podcast Ellen. My radio voice. Exactly. She has a radio voice. I have a radio voice. <laughs> yeah, I just told Sarah that my quotes are like, one is like half a page. And then the sec- second and third are like a paragraph each. <laughs> And I mean, I probably could have condensed it to like one or two sentences. But what usually gets to me is like the buildup of a scene. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to narrow it down to like one sentence, like the sentence. The thing is, I get stuck on like the one sentence, the D sentence. Uh, I think it's also because of the buildup. I just then afterwards ignore the buildup and go like, that sentence is it. And then take it out of context. And to me, it still makes sense because I remember the buildup. I remember mm. the context. But someone else reading the sentence will probably go like, what the fuck is this? Why don't you start then? Okay, with my like half a page paragraph thingy. Oh, wait, let me refill my tea. <laughs> It's sadly, it's a very small cup, but there's still some left in the pot. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Hit me. You've read this book. So I think you should be able to figure out which book it's from. I'm not going to say yet. I'm going okay. to tell you at the end. The quote is as follows. The axiom of equality states that X always equals X. It assumes that if you have a conceptual thing named X, that it must always be equivalent to itself, that it has a uniqueness about it, that it is in possession of something so irreducible that we must assume it is absolutely unchangeably equivalent to itself for all time, that its very elementalness can never be altered, but it is impossible to prove, always absolutes, nevers. These are the words as much as numbers, that make up the world of mathematics. Not everyone everyone liked the axiom of equality, but he had always appreciated how elusive it was, how the beauty of the act- equation itself would always be frustrated by the attempts to prove it. It was the kind of axiom that could drive you mad, that could consume you, that could easily become an entire life. But now he knows for certain how true the axiom is, because he himself, his very life has proven it. The person I was will always be the person I am, he realizes. The context may have changed. He may be in this apartment and he may have a job that he enjoys and that pays him well. And he may have parents and friends he loves. He may be respected. He may even be feared. But fundamentally, he is the same person, a person who inspires disgust, a person meant to be hated. And in that microsecond, he finds himself suspended in the air between ecstasy of being aloft 
and the anticipation of his landing, which he knows will be terrible. He knows that X will always equal X, no matter what he does, no matter how much he earns or how hard he tries to forget. It is the last thing he thinks as his shoulder cracks down upon the concrete and the world for an instant jerks blessedly away from beneath him. X equals X, he thinks. X equals X, X equals X. It's a little life, isn't it? It's a little life by Hanya Yanakahara. <laughs> Did you notice when I realized because no. my jaw dropped open? I was like, oh my God, of course. <laughs> no, uh, I didn't see you. <laughs> I was focusing on the text. <laughs> yes. So it's. The um, whole book is just heart wrenching. And the writing yeah. is so, so good. The writing is absolutely stunning. There were a lot of passages in that book where I just stopped reading, turned to Dan and said, can I read you this bit? I just started reading whole pages out to him because they were so beautifully, so beautifully written. And that scene in particular, the reason that I read you the entire thing is because if I would have just said X equals X, you wouldn't have gotten it. <laughs> the first part is the like the explanation of the equation. So the axiom mm. of equality, X equals X. You kind of need that information before you really get like his thought process and how he feels like he can never escape the things that have happened to him. Yes, I was just going to say what really makes this line hit is the the context that you have when you've yeah. read the book, the, the, all the traumatic experience he's had and all the growing he's been doing. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he's not reached a point where he can shed his past self from him and go like, no, I am not who I was. Mm -hmm. I am more than who I was. Yeah, because it's not that he would lose who he used to be, right? Like we never lose who we were in the past, but we add on to that mm -hmm. so that the person we were in the past is not the most important bit of us anymore. Yeah. But if you put it as plainly as X equals X, there's nothing added and you're stuck in the past with who you used to be, of who you never wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it so sad. Yeah, I feel like for most of the book, the main character, whose name is Jude, tries to punish himself by not allowing himself to be close to people, not allowing himself to create a family for himself. It's other people who do that. I think other people he's... make the decision yes. to want him to be part of their family. His life is a very passive life. I think yes. it's a lot to do with the fact that he doesn't think he deserves. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. People in his life that love him, people that care for him. He doesn't deserve happiness in his own mind. And X equals X also represents that. Right? Yeah. Like the... I think like from what I can remember, but because it's been more than a year since I read this book, this was the low point of the book. Hmm. I think it's nicely empathized how he describes his outside persona. You know, mm -hmm. he has 
a home, he has a job he likes, he now has these parents who love him. And to the outside world, he seems better than yeah. he used to be, happier than he used to be. But inside, there's still all those intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Thinking of this quote and then looking it up and then finding like the entire bit really made me want to reread this book. <laughs> yes. I had that with all three books that I'm going to mention. Yeah, because while also I, now I, with with uh, Little Life too, because yeah. I knew immediately that I wanted to include this bit. I my mind immediately jumped to X equals X because it's such a powerful metaphor for the entire book. Mm -hmm. It was so well thought out and so well written. That entire, that entire paragraph sums up the book yes. very neatly. Like you I can feel so too. see the progress is made and still how it hasn't ingrained itself in his most inner self. Yeah. But he deserves all these good things that are happening to him. If you haven't read this book yet, in very, very, very short, it's about four. <laughs> in very, very, very short, it's don't live a happy life. <laughs> No, if so you want to read the book, you should, book. but you have to like know what you're getting yourself into, I feel. It's a very depressive book. It's about four young men who meet in college, I think, uh, or mm -hmm. university, and then you follow them from there on out. Like you follow the four guys. There's one guy um, whose name is Jude, who has had very, very, very traumatic things happen to him in his past. And little by little, you start to discover these traumatic events. There is a whole slew of trigger warnings. They're all over the internet. If you do a quick Google Google search, yeah. like trigger if you're warnings, sensitive a little to triggers, please look them up. Yes, we wouldn't want you to like get a trauma spiral. Yeah. yeah. Um, that being said. If you are still interested in reading this book, then you absolutely should. Yes, definitely. If you've done your research and you're like, okay, I'm still it is, interested. Then it is you a chunker and you should be emotionally prepared before you get it, go into it. Mm -hmm. But it's worth it. It is, yeah. it is very good. Um, that being said, I sent you um, a little message on Instagram yesterday <laughs> because we discussed this in like one of the previous episodes her new book is coming out in january oh, yeah paradise it's called right Something yeah like that. to paradise i think mm -hmm. um so i asked you to body read it with me yes <laughs> it's we going will. to be another chunky book though but i mean i I'm... think that's what she does right the people in the tree is also pretty chunky yeah which i, I have not read yet it is on my shelves but i haven't read it yet i have no idea what that one's about but me neither I'm just looking forward to the new one. So Me too. We are definitely going to read that. Yes. 2022, here we come. It's going to probably fill like two months for me. <laughs> so don't expect yeah. me to read a lot of other books while I'm reading that <laughs> one. <laughs> well, we'll make it through it. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Okay, it's your turn. Okay, my turn. Um, I do not have a whole paragraph. I have one single sentence. Um, I'm now slightly regretting 
<laughs> not putting in paragraphs because I'm like, what if I don't have anything to say about this? But here we go. So the quote is, in places where a loved one has died, time stops for eternity. And it's from the book Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto. Uh, she's a very famous Japanese writer and her writing always manages to suck me in completely. And I'm always in awe of what she does because mm -hmm. she has this very calm voice to her books, which are about very violent things. Kitchen, for example, is all about death and love. Most of her books are about, are about death mm -hmm. and love. And Kitchen is about this girl who loses her mother. And then she moves in with an old friend of hers. Like they were friends when they were kids, I think. And he still lives with his mom, who is transgender, which is just sort of mentioned but it's not a yeah. topic at all which is really nice it just is mm -hmm. um and she they take her in after her mother dies and she has this thing where she feels most comfortable in kitchens which is why it's called kitchen and what i really like about this sentence is how it says so much in so little words because what she describes in the lead up to the sentence is like she's going back to the place where her mom died and nothing really like no matter what happens with the place it will always be the place where your mother died mm -hmm. and it will always feel like that time when your mother died yeah so no matter how the change places in real uh, place changes in reality for you the time has never really done anything to that place it is always the same place it reminds me of like um the broken watch like when you got like a pocket watch and it has like a crack in the glass and it has stopped the moment that the owner of the watch died or something mm -hmm. I don't know where I know that from I don't know why that visual is coming to me that's like the thing that I'm thinking of yeah but it's like a um I think it's a visual aid lots of people use in movies mm -hmm. and also in reality, like in Chernobyl, all the clocks in Chernobyl are turned to the exact time of the disaster. Did people turn them? or did I they think some stopped? of them were turned and some of them stopped. That's weird. Yeah. But like throughout the entire town, they changed all the clocks that still remain. Ugh. To that. <laughs> yes, it's creepy. <laughs> it's so creepy. Yeah. Well, in a way, it's like it's almost like a mental shrine. Yeah. To a person. Also, I think it's um the person is somehow frozen in that moment, right? Mm -hmm. That ending memory you have of that person. Yeah. That's and cool. it's very closely linked to the last place you saw them or the last place they were when they died. Mm -hmm. And I just am always blown away by her writing because she managed to put that into tiny sentences. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very <laughs> short quote. You're right. <laughs> Sorry, I'll do that better next time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We need to do this in our own way. It's funny, though. My, like second one sort of 
fits in with your quote in a way. Okay, let's hear it. The quote is, what I meant to say is, we had been considerable, had been loved, not lonely, not lost, not freakish, but wise, each in his or her own way. Our departures caused pain. Those who had loved us sat upon their beds, heads in hand, lowered their faces to tabletops, making animal noises. We had been loved, I say, and remembering us, even many years later, people would smile, briefly gladdened at the memory. It's um, from Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. That whole book is a complete masterpiece. <laughs> and it saddens me so much that not more people have read it. I am it, one of these people because <laughs> I've not read it. It won the Man Booker Prize five years ago or something. And I don't really remember what prompted me to pick it up. Like maybe it was because I wanted to like give the winner of the Man Booker uh, Prize another chance because usually we don't really get along. But this one is just, it's such a different book for example it's not just like one narrative it's like pieces and so one person is describing something for example that's like a couple of paragraphs and then at the end of those paragraphs there's the name of the person who is explaining these things to you and after a while you recognize like the different people um but like at first you're always like wait who's who's talking and then it takes a while and then you're like oh yeah okay this guy is talking okay and then you learn through it like it's such an interesting way to tell a story it's almost like a play interesting that that's not annoying like yeah it sounds like it has a potential to be very annoying when you start it each probably chapter, will be annoying like, for some people <laughs> yeah it it, it it will be annoying for some people, definitely. I can imagine that some people will read this book and be like, no, just <laughs> no. But I loved it. And the amount of emotion and feeling, like I could have given you a dozen quotes from this book and I wouldn't even have to have really tried like I could just have opened up the book at a random page and gone like, oh yeah, I could just do this one or that one. So the book is about President Lincoln's youngest son dies. Like he gets very ill when he's little, little and he dies suddenly. And when his soul leaves his body, the child notices that there are many other souls in the cemetery and he starts to talk to them. And they then in turn tell him their life stories or like the story of their death, basically. And um, there's danger there because souls aren't supposed to stay there for very long. You're supposed to move on, but they're stuck in the bardo because they're not able to leave their life behind. And this child, too, he's convinced that his dad is going to come and pick him up, which is so sad. 
Um, and there's like things preying on the souls and like the grown-ups can resist this thing that's preying on them. But children are vulnerable, so they're trying to protect this kid and trying to convince him to let go of his life. And he's like, no, my dad is going to come for me. Aww. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> Like the end always makes me cry. I've read this book a couple of times now. And just then I just I can't every time I'm like near the end, I start to tear up because the writing is so beautiful. Oh, it's so well written. I just so, I love it so so much. So tell me about the quote. Why this part specifically? I don't know. Something about me. There's like there's a lot of mentions about grief and like losing people obviously because that's kind of the theme of the uh of the whole book and there are like different levels of like grief being like mentioned for example at one point you have president lincoln coming to sit by his son's um uh, casket and like hold him one last time and then he does like a whole monologue of how his child grew up and that he didn't expect to have to like let go of him so soon. And this one is like, it's sad um, because it says like our departures caused pain. And then like the whole thing about the people who are left behind. But then also it has like a positive note because it says we had been loved and remembering us even many years later, people would smile briefly, briefly gladdened at the memory so even though like the death itself is a sad moment, there's always like like something positive about it too. Because you always have like the positive memories and stuff. So it's not all negative. Like this book isn't a sob story in itself. It also has like the really beautiful moments. And I think it like really shows the balance of the book even though some of it is sad, there's also like very beautiful and uplifting moments in it. So. A part of your quote that you just call positive, like the, we have good memories. Um, the, the people remember us even after mm -hmm. we died. <laughs> it's also sort of sad, is it not? Because the kid died as a kid. It never had a chance to really have people hate him. Well, no, so, but like the memories are good. Yes, but he never really got the chance to also create bad memories, no. like live his life long enough for people to dislike him. But everything is like both things. Yeah, but I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that. Oh, <laughs> I really don't care about Lincoln. That's <laughs> it sounds really good, but I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> But it's not really, it doesn't go into like his background or anything. Like the only thing that it also does really, really well is there are, there's like a party going on the night that his son dies. So him and his wife are at this party at their house and their son is up in his bed dying. Basically, they don't know that yet. He's very, very ill. And there's lots of guests in their house enjoying this party. But they all 
um, remember the night differently. And they there's like in between like the story itself, you have like people discussing the party. And one will say, oh, there was a beautiful full moon. And then other people will say, no, it was very cloudy. You couldn't see the moon or something like that. Like people remember things differently. Mm-hmm. And like to get the full picture, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's because, cool, though. Yeah, yeah misremembering is a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they all want to talk about this evening because everyone knows that while they were there at this party the son died Mm -hmm. and everyone's like oh you know the moment that they heard and this and that why is it Lincoln's son like did this really happen yes okay yes he did lose his son like and there was was a party and there was a party presumably yes like some of it is real. Um, I think like George Saunders said that some of the like first person accounts of the evening are real, oh, okay. taken from letters and stuff or like books. And some of them he invented himself to like add to the narrative. Um, but like, I think he said that he was never going to tell which ones were real and which ones were. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope that, like, I don't know what the last thing is that he wrote, but I hope he writes something new soon. Like, I feel like I want to just, like, read more from him. He has this tiny, tiny book called, um, I think it's Fox 8. Oh, like I read the number that. eight. Yeah. Oh, that is that gorgeous. made me cry, too. Yeah. See, it's about foxes. I was in from the get-go. <laughs> it's also very, very sad. It's always animals over presidents for me. <laughs> but it was very, very sad, yes. Uh, and it did not end on a nice note. Um, no. But I know. It's I know such that... a short book and it had a big impact, though. Like it's, yeah, it's very well so written. So well done. I know that he has written a lot of books, so maybe I should like check out his Instead of forcing him to write new things, maybe. Yes, George Saunders, (laughs) write me something new. (laughs) This is an order. (laughs) Okay, tell me your next one. Okay, my next one again is just a sentence. Um, They're talking about pride. So it starts with proud to be ordinary, as if pride were not the first manifestation of shame. And it's from The End of Eddie by Edward Louis. I don't know it. It is such a wonderful book. Um, it's pretty short, like compared to the other things we read. It's just about 200 pages. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about Eddie, a little boy who's growing up in the north of France. Oh. Um, in like a very poor little town and Eddie is very very gay and that doesn't go down well in the poor (laughs) little town and it is it is a lot about acceptance and family dynamics little town dynamics 
um, it is a memoir, I think, of the writer, actually. Oh, wow. So it is his life, his growing up. Um, it is so good. I'm not I'm not using all the words to describe it right now, but it's so good. And here again, what I really loved about this sentence is how he put so much meaning into these not even a dozen words. Um, because just with that sentence, he makes you think about what pride really is. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you proud of and why are you proud of it? And what, how is it linked to shame that you hold inside? Mm -hmm. And shame is always a big theme for me because I have a lot of shame. Oh, um, me too. In myself for not very rational reasons. Um, so it's always fascinating to me when it's discussed somewhere because it helps me reflect on myself. Yeah. Because I can understand other people better than myself. I don't, I don't think rationally when it comes to myself, which I think and nobody really does. So I read the sentence and I was like, damn, Eddie, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and then apart from all that he also um gives you all this hope to to accept that you're not ordinary because in the end of the day you don't actually want to be ordinary because he so clearly here links the the need to be ordinary to just to escape any sort of shame you could be feeling about not being exactly like everyone around you mm. and that being different always comes with feeling ashamed because we somehow think that that's lesser. Mm. I think that ordinary is just um, keeping to what society says you should be. And being different is just being yourself. Exactly. You're not actually different. Different no. from whom? You're yes. just you, but you don't exactly fit into those really, really narrow set standards mm -hmm. of ordinary that no one really fits. No, um, but Some you're people just, are just supposed better to be at quiet pretending. at all yeah. the parts that don't, you know, all the parts that sort of push the boundaries of those very limited set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that ordinary. I think that people who are assumed to be ordinary are just very good at sticking to whatever society says that is acceptable yes and they like have i don't know erased like all of the parts that stick out yes so so they're they, hiding them they've and just like erased them out when they're home or something so that yeah. society at large will not notice about them yeah. but what's the I point of that exactly it's, and I think he hit the nail on the head here. The point of the thing that we all do that to an extent, right? Mm -hmm. Hide parts of ourselves when we step out the door so that we don't have to be confronted with other people's opinions about it. Yeah. And that is exactly just to avoid feeling shamed for who we are and mm -hmm. what we like, what we do, how yeah. we see the world.
Very true. And the safer the space, the more open we are about the nature of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But then towards society at large, we're like, yeah, maybe you all don't (laughs) need to know about that. (laughs) So yeah, Um, I highly recommend reading The End of Eddie. It is absolutely mesmerizing. It's not exactly an easy read emotionally. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine it being easy. (laughs) (laughs) But it is so well written. And, you know, having books hurt me is fun. (laughs) Why read a book if it doesn't make you feel something? Exactly. And what's the point of not crying? Well, that's something I don't usually have to work very hard at. So. <laughs> yes. That kind of just happens. So, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That's okay. It's nice at the sea. <laughs> All right. Should I read you my last quote? Yes. Let me refill my tea again. Do it. Okay, we're ready. Good. I could hear you pouring because <laughs> I can't see you when I'm reading the thing. You may remember that I sent you a message as we were trying to figure out which uh, quotes I wanted to discuss. I've been waiting for this one. And I just sent you a message saying, are you doing something from the Song of Achilles? Because I really want to. I actually found some really good quotes by Song of Achilles as well. Let me see if I've marked them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, go. Tell me. Okay. So the quote is, I will never leave him. It will always be this. For as long as he will let me, if I had had the words to speak such a thing, I would have. But there were none that seemed big enough for it to hold that swelling truth. As if he'd heard me, he reached for my hand. I did not need to look. His fingers were etched into my memory, slender and petal veined, strong and quick and never wrong. Patroclus, he said, he was always better with words than I. Like, I could have just done the last sentence. Patroclus, he said, he was always better with words than I. But then that wouldn't have had the same impact. (laughs) I love them so much. Yeah, I have some quotes as well that I written out while I read it. Oh, there are so many. And one about one is also only one of them is also about like them and their love. I'm going to read it to you. You did not ask for this, but it's going to... Oh, no, I'm ready. I could recognize him by touch alone, by smell. I would know him blind by the way his breath came and his feet struck the earth. I would know him in death and at the end of the world. I'm like, yes, give me someone who loves me that way. Give me someone who I could love in that way. I thought about that quote, too. It's a good one. Yeah, the whole book. I've been, I've been whole book. eyeing it on my shelves, oh, thinking too. that maybe I, I should, you know. I read it once a year, so next year we can read it together if you want. I might start. <laughs> I literally started a book today that is 900 and something pages, and now I'm considering just squeezing in The Song of Achilles, which is, what, maybe 400 pages, five, something like that. It's pretty big. I don't remember, actually. It doesn't feel big because I fly through it every time I read it. Uh, I should maybe squeeze it in. I also really like this one. Just exile might satisfy the anger of the living, but it did not appease the dead. 
because I like some angry revenge energy, <laughs> which is half the book is angry uh, revenge energy and the other one, half is blissful, happily loved people being happily loved. It's just, I should so, reread it. It's so funny, that book. Like, it, like that's my favorite book. Like, I just want to read you all the quotes I wrote out now. <laughs> I, I think not, not like I read it this year, but I think last year, as I read it, so in 2020, um, I started like a Twitter thingy thread mm-hmm. with all of the quotes as I came across them. Did you just copy the entire book into Twitter? <laughs> Almost. Because I just, I, there's only like five here and all of them are great, which is why I wrote them down anyway. Like yeah. he had light enough to make heroes of them all. Mm. We obey our kings, but only within reason. Mm-hmm. I so should read. This has been a bad idea. I just <laughs> want to reread it now. I feel like the whole podcast so far. It's always like... just us hyping ourselves up to yeah. just go and reread the books we already read. <laughs> Oh, I, if there, if I could only read one book for the rest of my life, it would be this book. Mm, that's a good choice. Yeah. Well, without a doubt. I read it for the first time the year that it came out. I think that was 2012. And I loved it. And no one had heard of it back then. Like some people were starting to discover it, but not a lot, not really. Yeah, it's so, it was. There's like the 10 year anniversary coming out. I like came out just yeah, yeah. months ago, right? I read it. I bought it for my birthday. You did, of course. I didn't because yeah. it's blue. Um, wow. I read it, I don't know, maybe four years ago. It's funny because Cersei came out probably four or five years ago. And then people started to discover that book because it had a very pretty cover. Wow, everyone I was like, Cersei oh, first. she's... A... Yeah. yeah. Everyone went, oh, she's a pretty good writer. What else has she written? And then everyone started to discover The Song of Achilles. Mm. And it became this huge thing. And you like, were like, I've been here for a while, guys. So yeah. well. <laughs> Like, sudden, this had been, like, at the top of my list for such a long time now. And then suddenly everyone was like, wow, this book is pretty good. I'm like, uh-huh. I know. <laughs> I read Cer- Join the fan club. <laughs> I read Cersei first because I was attracted initially by the golden cover. And then I read that it's about a witch and I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it. Now it I want to reread good. Cersei as well. Thank you very much. Mm. It's, it's starting to feel like a support group who's not, that's <laughs> not really doing their job right. Like... <laughs> We all are here because we have a drinking problem. Let's toast on it or something. <laughs> well, like we're enabling ourselves. I liked Cersei, but not as much as the Song of Achilles. That book just holds you... a special place in my heart. It doesn't give you the butterflies the way Song of Achilles oh. does. But it, as mentioned about three minutes ago, I like a good angry revenge vibe mm. and that is 100% of Cersei so I'm it also is. slightly in love with her so it's fine <laughs> she's 
She turns I, men into pigs and then eats them. Like, what's true. not to love? <laughs> Once again, as I said when we were talking about George Saunders, I cannot wait to see what she writes next. Yes. It's been a while, Madeline Miller. Where yes, are Madeline you? Yes, Madeline Miller, in case you're listening. <laughs> Apparently, give, everybody is. Give me a new book, please. We need some more. Okay. Like, I'm just thinking about. Like, what could she write next? I want her to write, like, the whole Icarus thing. Like, Ooh. flying too close to the sun. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, if she doesn't write it, like... I will. <laughs> it would also be interesting to go for, like, a lesser-known mythology yeah. story that we can learn more about. Because I didn't know True. that much about Cersei. I hardly knew anything about Cersei until mm. I read her book. So that I really enjoyed that aspect as well, of not mm. really knowing where it's going. Well, but Icarus would be good. Madeline yeah. Miller, can you do both? <laughs> Pretty please. <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot about Cersei in like the original text. Um, because her story is told from the point of view of Odysseus, I think, as he's <laughs> trying to travel home mm-hmm. and is like having a hard time trying to get home. <laughs> Poor boy. <laughs> Poor boy. So we we kind of see her through like his experiences. Mm. Um, but I don't think there's like a part in what is it? Is it the Iliad? Which part is when Odyssey is, is trying to I think to get it's home? the Iliad, is it not? I'm not sure. I have to read that too. Same. <sighs> One day. Actually. I think I'm going to wait for Stephen Fry's version and read that. That said, I have Heroes and what's the other one? Troy. Mythos. Mythos. I have Heroes and Mythos on my shelves and I have not read them. I did start, but I've not read them. And I am waiting for myself to actually read them because I told myself I'm not allowed to buy Troy unless I've read the other two. But also the only thing I really want to read is Troy. Well, I've read Mythos and started reading Troy. I have heroes too. I could just read like Greek myth forever and not get bored of it. Um, The fun thing about those books is that you can really hear Stephen Fry's voice in your head as you're reading it because it is written the way he talks. I love him. Oh, he's amazing. He's my favorite person. He's one of them. I love him so much. Oh, he's great. We talked about this yesterday i think yeah because i um (laughs) (laughs) i was watching um ah you watched uh, an interview with him somewhere yeah Yeah. there's an um a flemish tv show called (laughs) 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 it's called (laughs) alin elvis that's what i said though (laughs) It's part of a song you wouldn't understand. It's fine. I'm not going to explain it to you. It's just the title. Anyway, he has like guests come in to like talk about like nine um, clips that they choose. Could be anything. Could be like um, part of a TV show or a movie or an interview or a documentary or just whatever an opera, a YouTube video, 
anything goes. And it's like clips, like two minute clips or something. And then they discuss it. So for the hundredth episode, he wanted to invite Stephen Fry, who is his like ideal interview person. Like because he's kind and smart and he doesn't mind talking. Because he is the best person alive right now. Um, and that, yes. <laughs> Stephen Fry, if you're listening, we love you. We love you. So that was supposed to happen last year, but then COVID happened and he couldn't like do the thing. So it finally happened. And the funny thing is they only like, I think normally those episodes are like an hour and a half, maybe. And like at one point, like Thomas, who does like the interview said, um, we've actually run out of time and we haven't like gotten to the end of the clips what do you say are we just going to keep going so the whole episode is like two hours long oh that's awesome I was supposed to see him on in the literary festival in Hay mm-hmm. but that was back in 2019 um yeah. and then the pandemic decided to not let me go see Stephen Fry and force him to hug me so I had to do with watching him online which was nice um, it was I think it was nice. very well done and it was really cute that he you could see all the speakers from like their homes mm-hmm. which was cool because we could see him in his study with his with glasses <laughs> remember he had those glasses on that like connect in the front yeah and he, and he was like, like I have these glasses they're rather special and <laughs> my mom has these exact glasses and we keep making fun of them and then I told her that that just happened and now every time she puts them on my dad comes around the corner and goes like oh something rather special <laughs> <laughs> so Stephen Fry has just turned into a running gag in our house and my parents have no Aww. idea who Stephen Fry is also one we... of the speakers was like in his daughter's bedroom because that's where the wi-fi is the strongest so he oh was my talking God, about amazing. his book. It was a nonfiction. I think it's called How to Argue with a Racist or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was being really smart and awesome. And in the background, it was just shelves and shelves of YA books and like oh. fake plants. <laughs> I was just going to say My Little Pony. <laughs> no, no, no. Teenage daughter. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was really cute. But yeah. we derailed. <laughs> One day we're going to meet Stephen Fry and tell him how amazing he is. Yes. Like as if he doesn't know himself. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, he's married, so he has a husband to tell him every day. I hope his husband does tell him every day. So you have one quote left. Let's let's go to my last quote. I think you're not going to be surprised as to what book it is from. Oh, okay. Um, I'm ready. Here it goes. Even if color is nothing but what the light reveals, that nothing has laws. And a boy on a pink bike must learn, above all else, the law of gravity. It's, Wait. Do you know? Do you want to guess? I feel like I know it. Let's give her a minute. Oh, no. Oh, this is going to drive me insane. <laughs> it's going to amuse me to no end. No, I don't know. Tell me. It's Ocean Wong. Oh, yeah. They're briefly gorgeous. Yes, that that does make perfect sense. Right. I oh, love yeah. the entirety of that book. 
um, mm. with all my heart. And here again, in such a short, relatively short sentence, he's saying so much. Mm -hmm. um, the build up to this sentence was, of course, how this boy on his pink bike was bullied and then beaten by other boys because as a boy you're not supposed to have pink things because that's a girl thing and we generally don't like girl things but he could have said it in an ordinary way he could have said it mm -hmm. in a mundane way he could have said it in an accusing way or as an action-driven way but he chose to be better than all of that and go by the laws of color and yeah. how light works and I'm like how does your brain take something you want to say and make it so much more beautiful? Well, I think if there's one thing to say about Ocean Wong, it's that he has an amazing sense of like language. Yes, incredible. And you read this book and it's a novel. And on every page, what hits you the most is that he's not just a writer, he's a poet. Mm hmm. And even yeah. when he's writing a novel, he is still a poet. And he has so, his claws into language the way I've never seen before. I did read this book. I Wait, I read it last year? Time has no meaning anymore. It does not. It's still 2019. It's also 2025 at the same time. <laughs> I don't I think I read course. it last year. I cannot for the life of me remember I don't think it was this year. I, I would have remembered that. Anyway, I read it. I really liked it as I was reading it. Because since then, it has faded a little bit for me. And I think the thing that not annoyed me, that's too strong a word, but that I was like, mm, was that he repeated himself a lot at the end mm -hmm. of the book. And I understand that it was like to bring everything full circle. But after a while, I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but it was beautifully written. That is true. He it is, is one of those books that whenever I spot it, which is every day when I wake up because it's right above my bed, um, I think maybe I should reread it. Then you should reread it. It's not that big a book. It's not that big. And if I can squeeze in some of these, I can squeeze in on Earth and Earth Gorgeous. It used you just to be the squeeze whole, a little bit harder. Yeah, I just I squeeze. Squeeze, Sarah. Well, I'm squeeze very it. strong. I can squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the whole um, Instagram thing that happened a couple of weeks ago? Somewhere in, was it Canada, maybe? I have no idea. It was either America about. or Canada, but I've got like a feeling that it was Canada. Um, on Earth, Briefly Gorgeous was like a mandatory read for college entry exams or something. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. And the That's students impressive. were failing. <laughs> because what? it's not easy um and they were prepared or something i don't know but then they had the great idea that they could message ocean wong on instagram and oh, no. him, dude your book is hard what are you doing to me dude yeah i'm not going to college because of you and he responded and it was hilarious it was pure comedy and it sustained me for like two days just going back to check his Instagram stories and there would be more and it was so good I think you sent one or two to me because it sounds familiar now that you like it was hilarious it I don't know if they're still accessible like maybe he saved them somewhere 
they're so good it really was my whole entertainment for those two days it's not that hard a book like the topics are harsh as in hard but the book in itself is not difficult it's not difficult to, to understand i don't know how difficult it is um because maybe his writing is yeah but also well, i feel like if you've read the book it's not that hard it no. is also very possible but that they were too Did lazy they actually and, you know, yeah if you only get an extract I think the extract was the part where he's plucking his grandma's hair. Mm -hmm. And it's the whole, the essence of the whole thing is that he's showing love through uh, action and not through words. Mm -hmm. And that might yep. be, if you're not a reader and you did not read this book or you did not read it closely, I can see how that's hard. <laughs> yeah, but why would they have to, why would it be mandatory? reading if you weren't going to do anything with languages or something yeah. i can't imagine this being mandatory reading for like a math thing or something i don't know for which university it really was or for like what i just really enjoyed i just think I the just... people didn't read the book <laughs> i think the people probably just didn't put in the effort yes yeah but i liked the notion of let's just harass the poet and see what happens too bad he's uh, smarter than all of them true well for sure those were our quotes i mean we could go on forever and ever it's very cozy, we could we and we will we just put we'll do another segment of this because we have more things to talk about yeah. um, but for now i think that's it yeah we have plenty of quotes to discuss so this might make like a return later on if you want to hear more of like our thoughts on beautiful writing, let us know. Then we know we have to hurry with the next one. <laughs> and otherwise we'll just do it whenever we feel like it. Um, but yeah, that was it for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Thank you for all of the support that you've given us. Like we can see the numbers in our analytics. So thank you to the people who take the time to listen to our episodes. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.